Resolute Square. Hey, folks, welcome back to The Enemies List. I'm your host, Rick Wilson. Joining me today is my good friend, Vanity Fair special correspondent, frequent guest on MSNBC. You see her getting up bright and early as the rosy-fingered <laughs> streaks of dawn cross the sky to take a an Uber down to 30 Rock almost every week now on MSNBC and Morning Joe. It is my good friend, Molly Jongfast. Thank you for having me. Always fun. Always, always a pleasure. We're always better together, as they say. Oh, always <laughs> fun. That's right. It's true. You're the fan favorite on my podcast as well. I love that. So listen, I thought your article about Joe Biden and being boring was really one of the best things I've read this week, because in some weird way, I think what you what you touched on is that is that in some ways, a boring campaign or a boring politician is this return to normalcy in this country. Tell us a little bit more about the piece, what the argument is, so people understand it. Uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes to the to the article as well. So the idea here was that it was something I had noticed before. It was actually, you know, because all we do is politics, you find your brain thinking about... So I got very stuck on Tony Ivers, Evers from Wisconsin, the governor who got reelected, by the way, getting reelected as a Democrat in Wisconsin is like pretty much a miracle. I spent a lot of time, effort and money with my team there last year. And uh, to say it was an uphill climb is putting it very mildly. And he won by like 3.4 points, which for Wisconsin is a landslide. And he said when he got reelected, he said, uh, I won by being boring. Boring wins was the quote, boring wins. And I thought a lot about that because Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Ohio are like, you know, of, you know, Arizona. There are a few states that decide every presidential contest as, where we are now. And uh, so it, it is, Wisconsin is like super important. But um, I also thought about that because, the Biden administration is really interesting. The administration is, you know, they're so effective. And I was thinking about it with the drug negotiation last week. They did this incredible sure. Medicare drug negotiation. Again, even just doing it is so unprecedented, right? Because the drug companies, and I say this as someone who participated in a Pfizer trial, is quite friendly with the Pfizer people. Uh, the drug companies have such powerful lobbyists and such incredible amounts of money. And they have convinced, you know, the federal government that they are on the side of angels, which they're really not. You know, I mean, they certainly come up with some good stuff and they saved our ass during the pandemic. So this negotiation is really one of the few times where the government is winning against the swamp, right? The lobbyists are pissed. This is what none of them want. And so it really felt like a victory. And the week before you had 
Biden at Camp David with South, the head of the president of South Korea, president of Japan, sitting down in this like unprecedented bilateral meeting to talk about, you know, how they can neutralize China. And that again, humongous, like, and, and so, and, you know, I am reading about why DeSantis won't tour the hurricane with Biden. So there is definitely a disconnect. You know, I, I was reading Franklin Foer's new book uh, about Biden, and it struck me because it really does get back to that same story that you that we've always sort of known about Joe Biden way back to What It Takes by Richard Ben Kramer. He legitimately is a middle class, a product of the American middle class. He He's not a giant brainiac. He's not, you know, he, he's not a guy who's like deeply, deeply immersed in every nut and bolt detail of the policy stuff but he has good instincts and, and and weirdly he set himself with a lot of these metrics, like things he wanted to accomplish. And, and I think that's what's so shocking about it is the normalcy of getting things done off of a list. It blows, it blows people's minds. Like, wait, he said he was going to do prescription drugs and he did prescription drugs. It's like, you know, Trump talked about an infrastructure bill every single week for four goddamn years. Did we ever get an infrastructure bill from Trump? No, we did not. It was infrastructure week. It was always fucking infrastructure week. <laughs> it was I always mean, I did, right? I mean, it was just a joke, right? It was always infrastructure week. And I think that there was an interesting thing that happens with the mainstream media. And again, we are the mainstream. I hate it when people criticize the mainstream media as members of the mainstream media. You and I are both members of the mainstream media. So on the reporting side, you know, there's a sense that the Biden administration, I, I was talking to a friend about this and he said, aggressively boring, that they use their boringness to shut down stories, which again, I, I, the, I, no argument for me. I think it's a very smart thing to do, but the problem is it, it's hard then when you want media attention Correct. To come back, it, to those it's people. like you know, you, you every day there's like some there, there's like that sort of pro forma kabuki dance of Peter Ducey asks a dickhead question and Queen Jean Pierre kind of rolls her eyes and then the, like grinds off into fifteen points about whatever policy refutes his his absurdity, and it's not the same kind of like running gun battle feeling that we used to have in in the Trump era or or frankly even in the Obama and Bush era. There was this, a weird sense that there that both of those administrations were somehow very different. I mean, and Trump's was just like an outlier in the weirdest possible world. But it is, yeah, I think that aggressively boring thing has has a piece of like comfortable psychology wired into it somehow. That that I, I was like I said, I was really impressed with the piece because it touched on something that I've been I, I couldn't quite put my finger on, like like the procedural nature of the Biden administration. And it reminded me of a phrase that um, procedures, huh? Rules, policies. How did that work? Right. A Andy Card, who was uh, Debbie's chief of staff, one time said to me and a couple other people at a dinner, he says, you know, good White Houses leak on purpose. Bad White Houses just leak. And and it, it kind of tells you something about the Biden White House is that it's not really as leaky as uh, nothing was as leaky as the Trump White House. It's not leaky at all. And I think that's the complaint. I think a lot of reporters are kind of like, I think they take it out on them a little bit because there aren't a constant series of, oh, so-and-so is trying to kill so-and-so. Peter Navarro and Gary Cohn are dueling with pistols in the East Wing. You know, none of that's happening. And so there is that 
that normalcy question there. Speaking of normalcy, and I, I just want to go flip from from the normal Biden White House world. And I'm so grateful you turned me on to it yesterday because I, I once I clicked on the link to the Ken Paxton hearings, it's the best television on television. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's must see TV. That shit is loco. And the lawyer Busby, Tony Busby, that guy is as maroon as I have ever seen a human. He has tanned to the, I mean, and he's saying, you know, if a political contribution, that line yesterday, if a political contribution counts as a bribe, then everyone in Austin would be in jail. (laughs) I always say that like one party states inherently become corrupt and ineffective. Yeah. And I mean that because I think New York state's government is corrupt and ineffective. It's a one party state and Texas. I mean, isn't this just like the, the level of corruption going on in this one is it's like teapot dome shit. It's like a Ron Contra shit. This thing is so beyond the pale and the absolute like obviousness of the bribes that they're paying to people to try to keep them from, you know, serving in the Senate or trying to keep them from from supporting the impeachment. I don't know how even normal people, even normal Republicans in Texas can look at this and go, hey, this is a great idea. This guy's a great idea. Yeah, we should keep Ken. I mean, we need I, more. What we need is more Ken Paxton. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm telling you my favorite thing about the Ken Paxton impeachment trial. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Christopher Hooks is covering it for Texas Monthly. He's a very smart Texas writer. And, you know, lives in Austin and he's the guy's Tony Busby. um, Tony Busby, right, right. And it's just right. Tony Busby. And it's just an incredible thing. I want to say, like, he is also being removed by uh, a by conservative. I mean, this is not a liberal plot. No, this is definitely not. And that's one thing I'm starting to see in like some of the, the conservative coverage is like, you know, Obviously, Texas doesn't have enough MAGA representatives and uh, or MAGA state senators. Right. Right. What the now. hell do you goddamn maniacs <laughs> want? <laughs> because I mean, it's got everything. It's got adultery. It's got bribery. It's got it's got every flavor it's got of Uber corruption. rides to. It's got to Uber rides to, to, to his Vegas. girlfriend's I mean, house, uh, paid for by somebody else. I mean, it, it, it's going to eventually get to like bestiality and cannibalism at this point. I, yes, it, it's. Inc- I do hope that it gets to cannibalism because you know, I mean, once it gets to cannibalism, no, I, I do think it's pretty interesting, and uh, you know, it does show Texas is in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it, it is a state that um, it is a state that has a, has had a dominant Republican culture in the in the government for a very long time, and like my home state of Florida, it's super super shady. It is run by lobbyists. It is run by corporate and special interest lobbyists at a, at a level. And look, I used to do a lot of that work. I used to be in that universe. And he's also been indicted multiple. I just for two seconds, Ken Paxton is most famous for having been indicted seven times and still being right attorney general. And and and, and like the Texas bar, or, or you know, if you had a, if you had a, a, a your slip and fall lawyer in El Paso who worked out of a strip mall who had been indicted for something, the Texas bar would have yanked their law license. But Ken Paxton is still apparently (laughs) attorney general.
<laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I just, it's, it's madness. It's madness. So moving on from Texas, because I, 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 like I said, when you sent me that link yesterday, I was like, Oh God, I'm going to go, I'm not going in this rabbit hole. And then I was like, I'm in the rabbit hole. <laughs> It's amazing. So my next topic is my is my recent obsession topic. Look, I, I've long had the theory of the case that the Republican primary is a stupid kabuki dance that will end in misery, tears, and bankruptcy for many people. And, and Trump is the almost certain nominee. There is a weird thing going on right now. As it becomes clearer and clearer to a lot of mainstream reporters that this is going to be the case, uh, that the horse race they desperately want isn't isn't ever going to really happen. I'm noticing a lot more of them, you know, suddenly doom spiraling on, oh, the polls are tied, the polls are tied. And they are. And it's not great that they're tied. What do you think it says about where we are politically that you've got 91 charges, four felony indictments, uh, you know, against the leader of the attempted revolution versus the boring guy who is, you know, Who's who's created a record number of jobs? Did, did the first managed to get the first real increase in wages in our lifetimes, basically since the sixties. Right. What do you think it says about the country? Because I, this is my uh, my I ponder this all the time. Like, where's the disconnect? How do you fix that that weird breakpoint between reality and and a tie ball game. So what I would say about these, first of all, I think all the polls are bullshit. And again, I'm not a pollster and I have pollsters who I love who are in my life, like sure. John DeLavolpe. And, yep. But I think that right now the methodology is so incredibly fucked and the questions, they're such leading questions and the pollsters, and again, Republicans have really, since 2020, uh, maybe even a little earlier, 2018, that midterm, have been flooding the field with junky Rasputin polls, Rasputin Rasputin. uh, polls, Rasmunin, but I meant Rasputin. Rasputin, Rasmussen, same diff. Quite quite the double entendre. But uh, I think that that crew has been flooding the field with junky polls. There are a lot of right-leaning polls. I mean, I I think of like my favorite polling experience from 2022. We have this guy on the podcast. He's running against Lauren Boebert. Everyone says he doesn't have a shot in hell. I don't know why you're wasting your time. I say, well, you know, it's a very split district. Vale is not an R plus 21. I said, Vale is pretty no, tight. Vale is not rifle. <laughs> right. Oh, no. He's losing. He's losing. We have him on. He loses by 730 points to Lauren Bopert. That is why polling is bullshit. And and maybe it's not always true. But do I believe that Joe Biden and Donald Trump tomorrow would be tied? No. And that's why I think no labels is and neither does no labels, which is why they're working right. so hard to get ballot access on all it 50 is. states. And by the way, this whole case against Biden it, for being too old is because Republicans know the power of incumbency. And they know that if Joe Biden is running against Donald Trump and all things are equal, he is going to kick his ass. I think there's a meaningful chance that when we get into the actual moment of realization for voters, where there's a real head to head uh, and voters say, oh, shit, 
I think two things you mentioned. First off, the fact that no labels is on the ballot in Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nevada, Minnesota, New Hampshire, Maine, Colorado, Virginia, Oregon, and New Mexico, those are all places Biden has to win. You notice they're not out trying to get on the ballot in, in red states, even where it's easy. Isn't that weird? Huh. Huh. Strange. It's odd. But, um, but, but no, no labels is, is really scary. It's pernicious. It's really something. I think that there's a weird moment here that we haven't seen yet where, where people finally, and look, a lot of my, a lot of my liberal friends, a lot of my democratic friends are like, Oh no, the trial is going to take Trump out. He's going to be in prison. I'm like, why are you betting on miracles with this guy? Have we ever had a moment where a goddamn miracle occurred with Donald Trump? No. And, and so this is the thing that like drives me crazy about the resistance lately. It's like, it's like, oh, Trump will be in prison. No, he will not. He ain't going to be in prison. He, no, look, he may get Vance, sentenced for something eventually. Joyce Vance said this. Yeah. Right. But he's not going yeah. to prison. The timing is not such. I mean, even if he gets, even if he gets seen in this Georgia case, you know, if this Georgia case, even if right. it runs as fast as a case is ever, it's not happening. He's going to yeah. kick the cannon and that Florida case is a MAGA judge. I mean, it's a MAGA judge in a MAGA area. I still have a theory of the case, though, that nobody's grappled yet that it really is Biden versus Trump. I still think there are too many people. And look, I get it. A lot of people in the media would love they want to do it, the traditional thing of follow the money, follow the balls, follow the back and forth craziness of of the primary race on the Republican side of an open primary field for nothing, right. for nothing. It's, it's for nothing. But I think people will realize at some point it's going to be like, Oh, it really is these two guys love it or hate it. Yeah. And I don't think people love it, but it doesn't matter. I mean, this is what we have. The Republican base has hardened into a cult. They are in a death spiral with their guy. Republicans don't like it, but they can't do anything. And, you know, Biden is there. He is president. He is doing a lot of stuff. You may not love him, but he beat Trump before. You know, he's three years older than Trump. Does he look older? I don't fucking know. I mean, that's like, he's thinner. He doesn't have an implanted wig. I mean, I don't know. I, you know. Dr. Feelgood to lie about his weight. You know? Right. A guy who's one of my political mentors is 82 now. Sharp as a tack. Never, never misses a beat. You know, can he, can he get up and run 30 miles? No, of course not. He's 82 freaking years old, but, but he's still sharp and alert mentally. And, and I, I find it amazing that these people who still believe that Donald Trump has a, like, like abs and is this specimen of physical perfection and health. It amazes me. Again, I don't want to be paranoid, but it strikes me that there are junky polls asking people if Biden is too old and then telling them that Trump is not. And so we're getting a lot of polling where people are saying Biden is too old, but Trump is not. And it rem and again, I'm old enough to remember 2019 when they were like, Biden is demented. And then he'd come out and he'd be pretty good. And you'd think maybe Biden is a gifted orator, which he's not. But, you know, you had the expectations were so much lowered for him. Anyway, go on. They set the bar so low. They turn uh, Biden is drooling into his into his oatmeal every morning. And then when he comes out in the debates, particularly and whips Trump around the stage a couple of times, people are like, wait, what? Yeah. It age comes for us all as a guy who's about to turn 60 this year. I get it. But 
But, uh, you know, I still think that's like the weirdest bad argument against Biden. And it's unfortunately an argument that a lot of the mainstream media spends a lot of time talking about. There's a lot of anxiety about uh, seeming too partisan, seeming too lefty, right? You spend all this time attacking Trump. You have Trump derangement syndrome. And now here you are pumping up this guy who can barely write his own name. I mean, I, you know, and it's like, no, clearly he can write his own name. I can remember when Trump can't hold a bottle of water or walk down a ramp. He's a guy who like stares into the sun during a goddamn eclipse. He is not. You know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I want to change tracks just for a minute, Molly. And, and you know, you and I, like many people, met on Twitter years and years ago in the before times. And it was the sort of it was it was a much different community then. And you know, I, I I've noticed a migration of of what I call the nice people. Well, fewer Nazis. Yeah, I like I like an environment with 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 a lower Nazi count than a higher Nazi count. But it's weird that that Twitter has I mean, with Elon right now and fighting with the ADL and the, and the sort of Nazis marching in the streets of Florida and elsewhere again. Are we having a Nazi moment or is there is this like is this like hot Nazi hot Nazi fall or something because they seem like they're they're absolutely goddamn emboldened to be out there in public and and and, and yeah the, the ones on the ones on Twitter are are getting likes and likes and 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 boosting from the from the platform now I, I wanted to, to just ask you about it because I know this is a subject that you you and I've talked about a lot before but it's like where do you see Twitter playing the, the, its role in 2024 differently than it did in 20 or 16? And and what's up with the Nazis? <laughs> what's up with the Nazis? Um, no, it's bad. I mean, I, I'm going to come out here with a hot take that Nazis are bad. And really? <laughs> that they, are, they should okay. not be platformed. Uh, look, Elon Musk bought Twitter. He is anti- I mean- Let's let's like stop beating around the bush here. He's anti-vax. All his besties on Twitter are people who are in the far right. And he again, just for a minute, he's taking Monjaro or Wavy, one of those Avni, one of those diabetes drugs for weight loss. But he doesn't believe in vaccines. Right. Like, I feel like the vaccines, billions of people have had the vaccine the weight loss drug, okay. So, I don't know about you. And believe me, as tempted as I am by it, I've had a number of friends who are like, I had to get off that shit because it was making me a crazy person. Yeah, I mean, again, I I haven't taken it, but I think that it would make me quite sick. It's a great example of you know he interacts mostly with people from the far right. He uh, a lot of his hot takes are pretty right wing, pretty intense, very anti, you know, now he's fighting, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I think of, I think of DeSantis, you know, fighting with people about the merits of slavery. Like you never should be in this fight, right? Like slavery, never good. Anti-Semitism, always bad, you know? Yeah. Nothing, nothing about, nothing about slavery was good. Nothing. What about their dancing by the fire at night? No, stop it. And it's like the Holocaust. You know, the Holocaust, never good. No good stuff came out of the Holocaust. So I think these guys, when you find yourself having 
important conversations about slavery or the Holocaust like that, you probably need to sit the fuck down. And, uh, and again, I don't know. Elon's losing lots and lots of money. Maybe he gets sick of it. I, I, I don't know. But it is a little bit scary that he owns this huge social media company and he owns percentage of the large percentage of the satellites uh in the sky that seems bad yeah they meet the most valuable satellite company in america or in the world right now is starlink and um so he controls that and and apparently he likes to monitor it privately well listen as always molly uh we just went around the bend on like 27 different things as we always end up doing you know and molly the other day somebody asked me like, like you and molly should go on tour together we should do that <laughs> if you want us to go on tour send rick lots of messages he loves getting unsolicited advice yes. yeah well molly thank you again for coming on the show today as always i appreciate you my friend and uh we will talk to you again very soon Thanks, Rick. But here's the thing. The Proud Boys were always a group of punk-ass bitch thugs. These people were never this Western chauvinist fighting club. They were never the image they had on TV. They were a bunch of low-rent criminals who wanted to go out and try to instigate a race war. The same with all these other asshole groups. And Enrique Terrio is going to go to prison very soon now for 22 years and he did it for people like Roger Stone and Alex Jones and Donald Trump how fucking stupid do you have to be to catch two decades in federal prison for those assholes this guy is representative of an entire generation of these trollish alt-right assholes who were always violence adjacent, who were always poking at every valence in society to try to find the place where they could cause the most pain and hurt and fear for people. You know what? There's a part of me that says I should have some pity for his family or, or even some pity for him, but I don't. Because Enrique Terrio, you are on the enemies list. And while you're in prison, I doubt you'll be hearing this podcast because you're going to be in, of course, federal prison. Thanks, folks. Thanks again for listening to The Enemies List. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at TheRickWilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.